Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word, but we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Back in the 1960s and 70s, there was a well-known comedian named Flip Wilson. And one of the uh, catchphrases that Flip Wilson used in his comedy routine often was the phrase, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And there there have been a lot of people throughout history uh, who have claimed that the devil made me do it. And sometimes there are even people today who say that. Or you may even know people who have said, well, you know, the devil made me do it. Well, the question as we look into that uh, claim when it comes to Jesus and Judas is, what was Judas's motivation for betraying Jesus? Could he have claimed that the devil made him do it or not? That's what we're going to talk about in this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. Okay, so let's go ahead and look into uh, Judas today. And we're going to turn, if you would, back to uh, Matthew chapter 26 again. And uh, we're going to concentrate uh, today on motivations for why Judas did what he did. I think we've pretty much exhausted the money angle for the last two Sundays. So we'll look at other things Um Look at maybe some other motivations if there were any uh, as to why uh, Judas may have done what he did. So let's just go back and reset the context. Matthew 26, verse uh, 1, it says, When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly, deceitful, entrapping way, and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. And then verse 14, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So we talked about the money angle the last two weeks. So we're going to leave that behind and say, and then we're going to ask the question, 
were there under were there any other motivations other than money that may have made Judas do what he did? And one of the things that we've talked about a little bit, we've kind of hit hit at it just a tad. Uh, both of the last two weeks is what Chuck brought up last week and what Grady brought up a week before, and that is, did Judas do this because he wanted to force Jesus' hand to actually reveal himself as the Messiah and to establish you know, what they were expecting him to do, the people that day, expecting the Messiah to do, and those who believed in Jesus as Messiah before the crucifixion, was that he was going to establish his promised eternal kingdom on earth then uh, in his first humming and overcome Rome and enter in and usher in his eternal godly kingdom on earth. And so uh, what some people uh, think and what we talked about just briefly those last two weeks is that did Judas, as he saw things change in Jesus' ministry, and we start hearing Jesus say things like, I'm going to be handed over to evil men and be crucified. Was Judas then thinking, okay, what can I do to keep that from happening? And is there something I can do that would force Jesus to enter into his kingdom sooner than expected? Can I do something that would force Jesus' hand into getting rid of Rome and bringing in his kingdom. And this this is something that a lot of commentators think could possibly have been a motivation. I have William Barclay's commentary here, and he's one of the people who, who brings this up as one of the possible um, motivations as to why Judas may have done this. He says here in his commentary, uh, it may be that Judas never intended Jesus to die. It may be that, as we have seen, he saw Jesus, the divine. He saw in Jesus the divine leader. He may have thought that Jesus was proceeding far too slowly, and he may have wished for nothing else than to force his hand. He may have betrayed Jesus with the intention of compelling him to act. So this is a this is one of the common things that people point to as a possible motivation. For why Jesus, for why Judas may have betrayed Jesus. So, what do you think about that? Do you think that that holds water? Do you think? I guess my question is, knowing what we do know about G, about Judas, is do you think that he was that much of a thinking man? In other words, it takes a pretty you got to be pretty thinking out in front of things to think, to kind of plan that. Uh, and my question is, does Judas strike you as that kind of person who would have really thought that was possible by doing what he did? We don't know that much about him. We know he was a thief and a robber. And a, he, he could have fasted a couple of weeks ago. 
why would they have taken the first soy to do it? If they, then afterwards, it sounds like they're just trying to be. Well, no one knew it at the time. It was only afterwards that they knew, they found out that this is what he was doing. That's to give, to give Judas credit and the one fact that even in the last, at the Last Supper, when Jesus says to him, go and do what you're going to do, most of the disciples thought, well, he's going out to buy something for dessert or something, you know? <laughs> they didn't realize. So really, he was, he was fly. He, he was, no one, Jesus knew, obviously, and he, and Judas knew, but really almost no one else knew at the time that he was doing what he did until afterwards they found out. So, so here's, here's my question. So if you were Judas and if you were saying, okay, uh, Jesus is talking about being crucified and dying, uh, the chief priests, uh, perhaps Judas got win, probably he did, probably that's why he went to them in the first place is that he heard that they were looking for Jesus for a way to arrest him and to get him. And that, uh, you know, he may not have known that they wanted to kill him. I don't think they did, that he did. But if you knew that Jesus was talking about dying and being crucified, uh, and you wanted him to usher in his kingdom, uh, would you turn him over to the religious leaders of the day to force Jesus to bring in his earthly kingdom? Or would you turn him over to the Roman authorities? Because the Roman authorities were the ones who were in charge of in charge of things at that point in time. So if you wanted Jesus to bring in, if you didn't want Jesus to die and you wanted him to bring into his kingdom, would you turn him over to people who were looking to kill him? Uh, or who, who had a, would you turn him over to, to people who, put a price on Jesus' head, or would you turn him over to the governmental authorities who at that time were the Romans? The Romans were the ones who were crucified. Yeah, so maybe that's why he turned him over to the Jewish religious leaders. Maybe he didn't want to go to the Romans because he knew they could crucify him, and Jesus was talking about crucifying him, uh, about cru being crucified. So maybe Jesus purposely didn't go to Rome because he said, wait, Jesus is talking about being crucified, and the Romans are able to crucify people. So I don't want to go to the Romans here because that is putting Jesus in the hands of the people who can actually do that. So instead of going to, because I'm thinking, you know, I would probably have just gone to the Romans because they're the ones in charge of the kingdom. And if I want Jesus to bring in his kingdom, he, in order to bring in the, the, the kingdom of God, we have to defeat the Romans and get rid of them. So why don't I just turn him over to the Romans? I think it's a good point, Grady, that maybe the reason Judas did not go that route is because he heard Jesus say, I'm going to be crucified. The Romans were the only ones who could crucify him. The Jews could not. And so he didn't want to put Jesus in their hands because uh, they could actually pull that up. So he goes to the religious leaders. Right, this would be a Jewish. This would be a Jewish kingdom, and go to the religious leaders, turn them over to them, and then that would, and then that would through a, through the religion and the and the religion, religious leaders that Jesus would then make things right, because it's going to be a 
kingdom of God, not a kingdom of Rome or whatever. So that would explain why he went to the religious leaders instead of going to the Romans. So now we just have to deal with, okay, given that then, was he really enough of a thinking man to think, hey, if I do this, then this will force Jesus' hand to establish his kingdom. I guess it just comes down to what you think about Judas and whether or not he was that far ahead enough, if he was thinking that far ahead of, of what might happen. Well, my thought well, we know that we had just witnessed uh, Lazarus being raised. Right. We know that he'd seen many different traditions that were born. So I don't think he may have thought, even if things were so we know him, he would be raised in I think you're giving a lot of credit to Judas on that one, but okay. <laughs> okay this is what I don't understand. Okay. At the Last Supper, you know, he knew, Judas knew that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Jesus knows everything. Jesus knows what was going to happen. Right. So why, I mean, I don't understand, you know, why even, uh, no, I don't think he was thinking. You don't think he was thinking that? Yeah, you think he was just more reacting to things and, yeah. Jeff, I'm just I'm sorry, is that is that this? I, I I I don't think Judas very smart. That's what I mean. I think he's pretty dumb. That's <laughs> because he's seen the miracles, right? And yet, when he goes to the, the chief priest and says, "How much are you willing to give me?" He, I mean, yeah. he, he capitulates and says, "What?" Well, and they give him a thirty pieces of silver. It's like done that. Right. You know what I mean? And so I, I just think he's really dumb. Not I mean not spoiling. Because he's he's got he knows. He I mean he, he has seen Jesus in action. Okay. And uh anyway, that's my thoughts. Well here's here's my problem with this theory, and that is I don't believe Judas really thought Jesus was the Messiah. Because if he really did believe that Jesus was the Messiah, Judas would have had some saving grace in his life, which would have made it impossible for him to do what he did. And especially when, if you read your homework assignment, where it talks about uh, Satan entering into Judas, that if Judas believed in Jesus as the Messiah, Satan could not have entered into him in that way. Because when you believe in Jesus and have faith in him, you are protected from that kind of influence from Satan. So if Judas did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, which I believe was, was, was true, that that was the case, that he then would not have been able to think this far ahead. He, he would not have said, well... I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, so I'm going to do this so Jesus will come and be the Messiah. I think in order to do this for that reason, you had to actually believe that Jesus actually was the Messiah, and I don't think he thought that. And I don't think he thought that because of what Satan was, of how, of how Satan was able to influence him later on, as we're going to talk about later on. So I think, I don't think that was one of the motivations personally, because I don't think Judas was um, uh, a believer, uh, and um, I think you at least had to have some belief that Jesus was the Messiah to expect Jesus to actually become the Messiah. 
And if you, if that was the motivation, you had to actually believe that Jesus would be the Messiah, would would actually be able to establish his kingdom. So I think that it's a it's a good thing to think about. It's a good thing to contemplate. Uh, is it possible? Yes, it's possible. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying I don't see, number one, I don't see G- Judas as that kind of forward-thinking person. I kind of go along with Jeff on that and Jan, and I don't think that he would have done that uh, if he actually believed that Jesus was the Messiah. I don't think that he would have gone about it the way that he did. Uh, so that's my problem. I think that this theory might be for people to try to find some uh, good in Judas to try to vindicate him in some way to say, it's almost like to go along with this theory, you almost have to say, well, you know, he did it for the right reason. He had the right intention. What he intended was good. It just turned out bad, right? In order to say that this, was his thinking you almost have to you almost have to take that that okay what he did he did because he wanted to do something good but it just turned out bad right and i don't think we can give judas that much credit i don't think you can say what he intended he intended for good because he didn't he was evil from start to finish and it's almost like saying no people who might say about Hitler, right? Well, Hitler, he was good for a while, and he did some good things for the people of Germany. It just turned out bad in the in the end. You know, you can't give Hitler. He was evil from start to finish, evil through and through. And I think almost this kind of theory almost gives Judas that same kind of credibility that maybe I don't think we should give him in that. I don't think what he intended, he intended for good. I think he intended it for bad from the very beginning. And that's, that's my own opinion. So, um, so anyway, uh, what Barclay finally says in his, in his, um, commentary is the more we take from this, even if you want to take this idea that this is, that was Judas motivation for doing what he did, the more we, the lesson we take out of it is that we can't change Jesus, that we have to let him change us. We can't try to make Jesus force him to do what we want him to do. We can't change him to be, and that's what a lot of people today want. They want to change Jesus to be the Jesus they want Jesus to be instead of changing themselves to be who Jesus wants them to be. And so instead of Jesus changing himself to be who Jesus wanted him to be, if you go with this theory, he's still at a problem because he was trying to change Jesus. He was trying to make Jesus change with his own effort, and that you just can't do that, right? You can't change Jesus. Let change Jesus change you. Okay. So that's one, that's one theory. So uh, another theory is that Judas eventually came to where he was more in agreement with it with the religious leaders than he was with believing that Jesus was the Messiah. That he eventually, as he as he when Jesus did not raise an army, Jesus did not come into Jerusalem on a on a steed, but on a a, a donkey. When Jesus did not take up a sword, when Jesus did not began to throw off Rome. When Jesus starts talking about dying and being crucified, 
when Jesus starts talking about the greatest among you will be the servant. If you, the greatest will be the the best servant, and the way to to lift yourself up is to serve others. When he's talking about carrying your own cross, that Judas begins to change the way he sees Jesus, and now becomes more where he's more in agreement with the chief priests than he was at, with the other disciples. Where he's saying, "Hey, I believe that Jesus is just an imposter." He's a blasphemer. He's an agent of Satan. And what he wants to do at this point is he wants to do what the religious leaders want to do. He wants to just silence Jesus. He wants to just silence them. And so he goes to the chief priest because he not only doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he believes that he's an imposter and blaspheming and doing, doing, doing bad to the cause of God and the world. I think we should have stopped two minutes ago. I think he made a deal with life. Um, that he was Jesus was not giving his powers, but we just saying it to him before. It wouldn't be unprecedented, though. There were a lot of people in that time and day who heard Jesus preach, who saw the miracles who heard the subtle, but I mean, what Jesus was doing, he was doing out in the public. A lot of, everyone knew about it in the area. Everyone thought, and yet they still didn't believe that he was the Messiah set by God. Uh, not just the religious leaders didn't believe. There are a lot of other normal people who didn't believe. And even some people who started following him, you know, it says at one point after, you know, he started talking about some of these things that, some people fell away who were following him, and then it became more difficult to follow him based on what he was saying. And so some of those people began to fall away. So it's not unprecedented that you could have been around Jesus and heard him and seen him and 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 experienced all of these things and witnessed all of these things, but still walk away not believing. So well, today too. <laughs> today, uh Today, today too, actually, um, that, yeah, that kind of thing can happen. So if you want to turn over, turn over to Matthew 27 for a minute. And um, we're just going to talk about um, uh, this in a minute, too. I want you to see this. Matthew 27, verse 1. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and had him over to Pilate, the governor. And then it says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces, uh, thirty silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. So what I want you to see there is the timing of it, in that Judas is okay with everything until he sees that uh they are going to turn Jesus over to the Romans, to, to Pilate. Uh, and then at that point, he kind of begins to say, wait a minute, uh, this thing is not going the way I thought it was going to go. And then that's when he begins to have the remorse for what he did. So I think that what I'm trying to get to is, is that he wanted to silence Jesus, but he didn't want to have Jesus die. Okay, 
Okay. Yeah. So, so, so if you want to silence Jesus, okay. And if you don't believe he's the Messiah and you think he's an imposter and is a blasphemer. And if you are beginning to identify with the chief priests more in what you believe than what the disciples believe, and you want to get Jesus to, 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 to be quiet and to stop uh, being out in public doing what he's doing. Who is the example for Judas? to get this to happen. Who can Judas say, wait, this happened just recently to someone else? John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist is arrested basically by the religious leaders and thrown into prison. And John the Baptist is silenced. He's not killed at this point. He's just in prison and silenced. His ministry is no longer out there. So Judas says, okay, I'll go to the religious leaders. They'll arrest Jesus like they arrested Jude, uh, uh, John the Baptist. They'll put him in prison, like they put John the Baptist in prison, and Jesus will be silenced and his ministry will stop. And everything was fine until the religious leaders went to the Romans and then things changed. Because I don't think Judas ever thought in a million years, in a million years, that the chief priests and the Romans would get together. Just didn't believe it could happen. I'll turn him over to the chief priests. They'll arrest him. They'll throw him in prison. He'll be silenced. He'll be he'll be stopped. But he he won't die. But he'll just he'll he'll be he'll be under control. <laughs> well, eventually, eventually, but not immediately. Uh, Jeff, you want to say something? Can, can we touch on twenty seven twenty six verses twenty three through twenty five? Let's see if I get Those verses lead to uh, Judas and <laughs> We will do that, Jeff, but not today. <laughs> I was thinking the guilt and the pressure all built up. For Judas, you mean? For Judas. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell me more about it. Go ahead. Well, no, okay, let's read that. Oh, let's read. Let's read. Let's read. Let's read. Okay, so verse 23, right? So Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, yes, it is you. Or it is, what it really says in the Greek is, it is as you have said. And then that's when Judith leaves the uh, the the uh, Last Supper. So here we have Jesus saying, "I know one of you is going to betray me," and he knows it's Judas. And and yet Judas is the first one to say, "Well, not me, right?" He's still trying to put on this facade that I'm an innocent person. And then uh, you know he says, it, "Well, it is as you said," you know. And then that's when. Judas leaves and, and feels guilty. Well, in 23 and 24, he's speaking to all of us. Correct. And then all of a sudden, Judas goes, Right. Yeah. Right. I didn't do it. They can tell me yourself. Sort of like go kids, you know, which you can tell me. I see. So, what you're saying is the reason that Judas was the first to say, It's not me, is because at that point, he felt guilty. 
He'd been feeling guilty about it. And now confronted by Jesus, more or less, he basically, by denying it, confesses to it for all intents and purposes. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I really do. Yeah. I think that's a good point. So I think that, um, I think you could make a case for the fact that maybe what Judas wanted to do was just silence Jesus and he, because he didn't believe in him anymore as the Messiah. And so he, uh, he went to the religious leaders to try to get him in prison, but not for him to die. Okay. Now, another, another theory is another one that comes from Barclay. And what Duke, what he says is another possible reason might be disillusionment. And I think, I think Barclay uses the wrong word there. I think he really, really, the word, better word to use would be resentment. So I wanted to read that to you uh, also from Barclay's commentary. And we can talk about that one a little bit. And he says, uh, and he says, uh, Barclay says, it may have been because of Judas did what he did because of bitter hatred based on complete disillusionment. And I say the better word would be resentment. The Jews always had their dream of power. Therefore, they had their extreme nationalists who were prepared to go to any lengths to murder of murder and violence to drive the Romans from Palestine. These nationalists were called the Sicarii. Um, the dagger bearers, because they followed a deliberate policy of assassination. Judas may have seen that Jesus had deliberately taken another way, the way that led to a cross. And in his bitter disappointment, Judas's devotion may have turned first to uh, see the death of the, uh, may have turned first to disillusionment, and then to a hatred which drove him to seek the death of the man from whom he had expected so much. Judas may have hated Jesus because he was not the Christ he wished him to be. So I think resentment is a better word. Because I think disillusionment is just like a non... Um, when you're disillusioned, you're kind of sad about something. You're disillusioned, you're sad. But I think res resentment is more of an, ac an action word that when you resent someone to that extent that you begin to hate them, that resentment is resentment results in revenge. Disillusionment, you're sad and you're upset, but when you resent something, you want to take revenge on something. You want to take action on something. So yeah, you get angry, right? So what Barclay is saying there is that because Jesus wasn't becoming the king that Judas thought he should be, that he went to a place where he resented Jesus to such an extent, so much so, that basically said, if you're not going to do what I want you to do, then I'll show you. And so, and, and so he says, you know, what Judas was saying is, hey, uh, you know, um, this is too much, and uh, I'm so upset that you're not going to do what you should do or what I think you should or be the one I think you should be that I'm just going to show you. So turn over for a minute and to, to Mark, uh, let's see, chapter 10, Mark 10, verse 35. 
And this kind of tells a little bit about uh, Mark 10, 35. This kind of tells a little bit about the, the feeling of what was going on with the disciples at the time and how this may have turned into disillusionment and resentment. So then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He said, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but the thing at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, this is the important part. When the other ten, including Judas, heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles boarded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slain of all. For even this, and this is the important part, Judas heard him say, For even the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So at this point, Judas says, I've had it with that. I've had it with it. That's not what this is all about. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I wanted. And he began to have this scene of resentment and disillusionment and disappointment. And eventually it just got so much. He began to actually not love Jesus, but hate Jesus. And then he wanted to take revenge for what Jesus was not doing. And he just jumped ship and he joined the other side. Chuck? This is also beautiful. Yes. This also the began. Right. Right. Yes. And what what the moral of this thinking is that we cannot follow Jesus. People cannot follow Jesus or should not follow Jesus because of what they expect him to do for them or to give to them. That's the wrong motivation. For following Jesus. You follow him because of what he has already given and what he has already done. That's why you follow Jesus. You don't follow him because you want to get the goodies. You follow him because you already got the goodies. But yeah, a lot of people don't understand that. So, okay, lastly, we're going to go a couple minutes uh, longer here just because I want to finish this off today. So go to Luke 22. This is your homework assignment. Luke 22 and uh, verse 1. And this is what it says. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. So what Luke is saying is that Satan entered into Judas, and then Judas went to the chief priests. So if that's the case, is Judas guilty at all? The Lord, the Lord revealed this to Luke in some way. <laughs> it is inspired writing. I mean, one thing that, 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 that is that 
it was the Lord. Yes. Because he was part of the Lord. Part of the yes. Archangel. See, it was cruel to condemn him because of what we were. The Lord, uh, or will to do for him, Jesus stuff. Okay. Here's here. I'm I'm going to. Here's here's how I understand that. Okay. First of all, first of all, let me deal with this. This will be illustrative of, what I'm, of the point I'm going to try to make here. So the question is, was Judas then guilty? Or, or was he just a puppet of faking? And the word there entered into in the Greek has two different connotations. One connotation is it means to be possessed by a demon to be literally possessed by an evil spirit. In this case, uh, Judas to be possessed by Satan. What that means is, as we see and elsewhere in the New Testament, when Jesus would cast out demons, that those demons had control over those person's bodies and their minds. They were rolling in fire and burning themselves. They were cutting themselves. They were doing things that they as people would not have done or wanted to do. They lost control of their bodies and their minds through the demon who possessed them. Uh, so that is one way you could say, okay, is that what happened to Judas? That Satan possessed him in such a way that he took control of Judas's body and his mind and made him do something that he wouldn't want to do. Remember old Cliff Wilson show? The devil made me do it. And he would have the devil on one side and the angel on the other side talking to him. So, you know, and, and say, he'll say, the devil made me do it. So, and the, the, the devil made Judas do what he did, that he had no control over it, that it was completely involuntary, that he was just a tool of Satan at that moment. Well, if he, the other, so let's leave that there for just a second. The other connotation of the word entered into means, to enter into one's thoughts that come to mind, to enter into one's thoughts. So in this, in this, this means that it's not that he takes control of your body and your mind, it's that, it's that Satan manipulates you. It's that he talks you into doing something. Uh, we can go all the way back to Eve as an example, right? He doesn't force Eve to do, he doesn't force Eve to, he doesn't, possess Eve and bite the fruit. He just talks her into it, okay? Eve still had the free will to say no, and that's the important part. If Eve did not have the free will to say no, then taking the bite doesn't count. God says, time out, Satan. That doesn't count because you did it. She didn't do it. She has to decide. She has to have the free will to make the choice. Otherwise, it's no, uh, no count. The same thing with Judas. If Judas doesn't do it as part of his free will, God says, time out. This doesn't count, uh, Satan, because Judas didn't have the free will to decide. No, Judas had the, he did not demon possess him in that way, but he manipulated Judas. He talked Judas into it. Judas still had the free will because if Judas doesn't have the free will to say yes or no to betraying Jesus, then it doesn't count. He has to have the free will. Okay, so you say it's a free will. 
Well, okay. So in either case, Judas is guilty. You know why Judas is guilty? Because Judas never believed in Jesus. If Judas believed in Jesus the way the other disciples believe in Jesus, Satan could not have used him in that way. Satan goes, he says, okay, I got to get one of these guys to be on my team. Let's see. Peter? No. John? No. James? No. Thomas? He doubts, but no, he believes. Uh, and he goes down the list. All of a sudden, he gets to Judas. He goes, ah, there's my guy. Because he doesn't really believe with his heart and his mind and his spirit. He's open to me. He's open to me. And that's, if you're, if you don't have Jesus in your heart, those are with you, you're open to Satan's manipulation and in some extreme cases, possession, but you're certainly open to his manipulation and he can talk you into doing things that you would never otherwise do. Now, how does this work? I'm going to tell you how this works. Okay. This is the best illustration I can give you. Jed, I've been married for five years. How long have we been married? 35 years. 41 years. Seems like only 20 minutes underwater. No, okay. So so I know Jan, like the back of my hand. I don't know her as well as God knows her, but next to God, I know her better than anybody. I know Jan's nature. I know her character. I know her personality. And I know how she's going to react to certain things. Does Jan have the free will to choose to do something different than what I know she's going to do? She has the free will to do anything that she wants to do. But I know beforehand, if such and such happens, she's going to react in a certain specific way because I know her, I know her personality, I know her nature, I know her character. I know how she's going to react to certain things. I just know it. Now, she can act some other way, but she's not because I know how, because I know that's just the way she is. This is how God knew Judas. Judas had the free will to say, I'm not going to do that. But God knew beforehand that given the set of circumstances that he was given, given the nature that he had, given the character that he had, given the personality, giving all this, and God knows Judas better than anybody. God knows Jan better, but God knows how Jan's going to react too. But God knew that Judas so well that he knew, although Judas had the free will to say, I'm not going to do that, that Judas would do it because he just knew that this is what Judas would do given the set of circumstances that he was under. So did he make, did he make Judas do it? No, he did not. Did God use Judas as a tool to do that? No, he did not. What he knew, though, was that given the set of circumstances that Judas would be put in, and knowing Judas the way that he did, he knew that Judas would do it, because that's just the way Judas was. So that's the way that kind of all works together, and the way that it happens. So let's look at one thing, and then we'll be finished. This will be a last. Go to First John, and uh, let's look at First John three, chapter chapter three, verse four. And this was written by John, who was there at the time. And I think when John wrote this, he had Judas in mind. So chapter 3, verse 4 of 1 John, he says, Everyone who sinned breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know he appeared, Jesus appeared, so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. 
No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So that doesn't mean that we don't sin. It means that we don't continue in sins that we know are sins. Once we become a, a, a Christian, once we become a, a believer, if we're doing something that's sinful, we stop doing it. So if you're cheating uh, on your taxes, you stop. If you're stealing from your employer, you stop. If you're having an affair, you stop. You don't continue to sin, and the sin, you know it's a sin. Once you become a believer, you stop sinning as much as you can. We're not perfect, but we, we try not to sin. We don't continue doing something that was wrong. So verse 7, this is the important part. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who, do, who, he who does what is right is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. He who does what is sinful on an ongoing basis, knowing it's sin, is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God would continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. See, no one who is born of God will continue, because God's seed remains in him. God's seed was not in Judas. He cannot go on sinning if God's seed is within him, because he has been born of God. And see, Judas never stopped stealing. He never stopped robbing. He never stopped taking money out of that. So God's seed was not in Judas, because if it was, Judas would have stopped stealing, and he didn't. He kept, he kept stealing. He kept sinning. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. And I think he may have had Judas in mind when he wrote <laughs> So Judas was at fault. He was no one to blame but himself. And um, what his motivation was, uh, we've talked about five different things today, agree, disagree, whatever you think. Um, I can't say we can disprove any of them. The, 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 old, the Bible doesn't say all of the things that maybe were going on in Judas's head, but I go back to the fact that the one thing that Matthew did talk about was that he was a greedy guy who um, just wanted to line his pockets. I think... That has to be number one on the list of motivations because that's the one the Bible gives us is what it was. So next week, we're going to take just a quick look at when Judas actually did betray Jesus. That's, that's really the, the thing that we're talking about in this series is what happened from the end of the Last Supper to the beginning of the crucifixion. And Judas's betrayal is in that time frame. So next week, next week we're going to take a quick look at that. And then uh, if we have time, I think we probably will we uh, may go into the next thing we're going to look at, which is Peter's betrayal of Jesus. Okay, that's it. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.